morning, y'all. Got your Bibles. Go to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16, starting at verse 1. Let Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for being God and just for allowing us to focus on you, God, to know you, God, just for experiencing your love, Father God. Help us never to take it for granted, God, but to always be grateful and thankful to you for your mercy, your kindness, your goodness that you show to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Proverbs chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Let's get into it. So the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So in this little run, we're going to do a lot of talking about God and the Lord. And some of it may seem confusing, but let's see if we understand it. So the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So that preparations of the heart, that means as your heart begins to plan and make preparation, as it plans and you plot out your way. So all of that that goes on in the heart of the man, when you plotting and you planning, that goes on within the heart. And it says, and with that, the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So there's a sense in which when we make plans, when we make ideas, when we have longings in our mind, that the response to those longings come from God himself. So the preparations and the answer of the tongue. So as the plan begins to unfold, God is the director of those things. So as you begin to plot, know that God is involved in your plotting and the response and the answers to your plotting is from God. Go ahead. Save it. All right. Say, all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weighed the spirits. This is a deep one. So when a man views himself, say, all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. When a man thinks back and reflects upon himself, everything that he does, all the patterns of his life, are pure. So a man in his own reflection of himself cannot see the impurity of his way. So all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. Said, But the Lord with the spirits. But God has the ability that he judges the spirits or the motives or the intentions, the dispositions inside of you. So when you look at yourself, there's a possibility for you to not see the evil of your way. But you need to know and understand that it's a God that goes beyond just the ways and the patterns that you're doing, but he weighs and he judges your heart. So God can look beyond what you can see and he judges your heart. So it's possible for us to deceive ourselves. So that's why we don't rely upon our own reflection. And when we reflect, when we reflect and when we judge ourselves, we do it in communion with God, not just us thinking about, did I do wrong? Was I? No, we do that in communion with God. Because it's possible for us to not to see our impurities. But God himself, he looked deep within. So God directs and has the response of our preparations. And God weighs, he judges the heart. Say, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. So that commit is you push it over onto God. So the things that you do, the activities of your life, you push them over unto God. Say, if you do that, your thoughts, the plans, the plottings that you have, they will be made secure. So it's this idea of you coming up with a scheme and you living your life, but you devoting the things that you do unto God. And you doing that, God takes control of it and he establishes your way. So as you're thinking and as you're making the preparations that verse one was talking about, God gets involved in it as long as you're pushing that stuff over to God. That's what he mean by commit your works unto him. 
You take yourself out of it and you push it over unto God. So we got God involved in our hearts, God involved in our thoughts and responding to us. And now here God establishing them if we push all our works over unto him. Verse four said, the Lord have made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Now This is the one that that messes a lot of people up. That God have made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. And it's a picture of God ordering and ordaining and being in control over all. Now, if you're reading in the King James, I think a lot of the modern ones do it too. Some of them may say, may God has made all things for itself. God made all things for his purpose. And it's this word that they use this is a tricky one in, in the context that it's using. Because it's the same word in verse 1 where it says the answer of the tongue. So it literally could be God made all things for an answer or in response. So the idea is that God has established categories. And everything has a purpose and everything has a plan in God's order. So there is nothing that can come about that God does not have a place or a position for it. God has established order. God has set up everything. And in that he says, yea, even the wicked for the day of judgment. So even the wicked has a place in God's plan. Because God is in control of it all. In the sense of God is directing. God is sovereign over it all. And everything has a place in his plan. So he has made all things for his purposes. All things according to his plan. So even the wicked has a place in God's plan. And he points out a part of that. The wicked is made for the day of judgment. So you can figure out where you are in God's plan by the identity that you have. If you're part of the wicked, God has a place for you. God ain't going to be surprised. Like, what am I supposed to do with these wicked people? Like, they don't supposed to be here. No, God has a plan for them. God has a plan for everything, and there's a purpose and intent to all that God has. And that's a part of the reason why we commit all our works unto God, because God is the ultimate director over it all. Y'all understand? God made it all for himself. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to God or the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. So everybody that's proud, that, that, that boasts of themselves on the inside, said God loathes them. God hates the proud. And he said, when that, though hand joined in hand, that's another way of saying, no matter what type of covenants, no matter what type of agreements are made, nothing can stop them from being unpunished. So if you're proud in heart, there's nothing you can do. There's no plots or no plans that you can align yourself with, that can alleviate the punishment of God from you. If you still have pride in your heart, God loathes the proud in heart. It said, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Now, this is a beautiful one. So by mercy, that mercy, we talked about it before. We will refer to it as grace, our loving kindness. So by grace and truth, iniquity is purged. So there's the truth of God and the loving kindness of God that takes away iniquity. Or that cleanses iniquity. That cleanses evil. Now last week we talked about mercy and truth. A little bit. And he said that mercy and truth was with who? Y'all remember? Probably don't remember. Uh-uh. Yeah, mercy and truth were with the good. So those who will do good. He said mercy and truth are with them. And now here he said by mercy and truth. Iniquity is purged. So we just take the reading of the Proverbs and connect it together that there's a purging that God has for those who live in the good. 
So the people who God has identified as being the good, those who walk in upright intentions, mercy and truth is with those people. So there's a purging with those people. Mercy and truth are the things that come from God, the goodness of God, his loving kindness that purges us. And it says, by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So it's we have mercy and truth dwelling with us. It abides with us. And if we live in the fear of God, that gives us the direction to depart from evil. That's a deep one. So if you're walking in the fear of God, you leave evil. And if you're walking in the fear of God, that means you're one of those good people. What means mercy and truth is with you, which means there's a purging that takes place. So it's the idea of you departing from evil. You're no longer walking in it because you fear God. And the evil that you did once walk in has been cleansed from you because God's mercy and truth, truth dwells with you and it purges you. It cleanses you. So there's a level of being purified, a continual thing, and staying purified because you walk in the fear of the Lord. Y'all understand that. So we are being purified and we stay purified because we walk in the fear of God. Verse 7 said, when a man ways please the Lord, he make it even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, this is a, another tough one. So the idea of when you live in a manner that brings pleasure to God, it says he, talking about God, make it even your enemies to be at peace with you. So if you live in a way that brings pleasure to God, God has the ability to make those who hate you not live like they hate you. He can bring peace in the midst of enemies when you live in a manner that your ways please God. That's one to reflect on. When a man ways please the Lord, he can make even his enemies to be at peace with him. So you can walk in a confidence and at peace with around people who even hate you if you're walking in a manner that's pleasing to God. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. That thing talking about better is a little bit again. So he's saying it's better to have a little bit. So to be diminished. To not have an abundance. And walk in righteousness. Than to have great revenues. That's a whole lot of money. Or great profit. Without righteousness. That's a deep one. It's one to reflect on. So you got the rich. And you got the righteous. The righteous poor. Is greater than the rich unrighteous is what he's saying here. I mean, that's that's a deep one. Go ahead. Yeah, that's part of it. That's he's saying. It's better to be righteous with a little bit than unrighteous to have a whole lot. A man's heart divides his ways, but the Lord directed his steps. So your heart divides. That means it's plot. It plans. It schemes your ways. So scheming go on inside of you. It's, a, it's something that you do. Said, but the Lord directed his steps. But God has the ability to guide you in those schemes. So you can come up with a plan, but God can direct or make the plan plain, make it straight, show you the way to live it out. And all of this is a package that begins with us committing our works unto the Lord and understanding that God has made all things with a purpose. Our God made all things with an intent and he is the director of it all. So as we commit ourselves unto him and we live in devotion unto him, he guides, he directs. The Lord is a mover and he he's involved in our plans. So we don't have to figure every detail out. We can plot, we can plan, we can come up with schemes and we commit those things unto God. And here we have a promise that God can navigate. it. He can show us, he can guide us and he can direct us in ways and manners to live these things out. But we just have to be conscious of this. That we got a God directly involved in everything that's involved in us. 
and he's aware of it and he's conscious of it and he's willing to do and guide you in those paths that you need to go on. Verse 10, talking about the king. So a divine sentence is in the lips of the king. His mouth transgresseth not in judgment. Now this is a heavy one. A divine sentence is in the mouth, the lips of the king, and his mouth transgresseth not in judgment. Now this is one that we don't completely have to deal with too often because we don't have kings. But the idea is that a king, when he's sending his authority as kings, his speech or he has the ability to be an oracle for God. That's what he means by a divine sentence. So the authority of God can flow forth from the, the lips of a king. And when he speaks in judgment, when he declares a thing to be good, to be right, he's not going beyond his authority as king. That's what he means by he transgressive, not in judgment. So when a king speaks and declares a thing because of the authority that he has, he's not begun going beyond his mean to declare what is good, what is right. The king has that power. So a person in authority has the ability to make judgments and to make dictates and he's not be going, going beyond his position to do so. And like I said, we don't understand it to that degree, but if we, you work from anybody, you understand it. If you have a boss and somebody that's the supreme authority in your company, he has the ability to make the rules whatever he wants them to be. He can do that. And when he declares a work to be good or a work to be wrong, he's not be going beyond his power. Because it's his. He owns it. So his authority is something that God recognizes, and it's, which means it should be something that we recognize. And it also put us in a peculiar position. Something you have to think about. When you put yourself in subjection to somebody, they have the right, they have the authority to do what they want. And now you have a, a responsibility to how do you respond? Like some I tell my boys at work all the time. They don't like it. Like you in here. They in they in charge when I ain't here. They run it. We all run it. Nothing but they be saying. So either you're gonna do it or you ain't. And you gotta understand there's consequences when you decide not to. That's just the nature of the beast. Now are they right when they do it? Not all the time. But they have that position and they have that authority. Eleven says, just weight and balances are the Lord's. And all the weights of the bag are his work. So just weight and balance. That's a righteous weight and balance. It's the idea of what we talked about earlier when you're wearing the scales and you're doing businesses. So when you, God is involved, a just weight, a righteous weight and the balances, all these things belong to God. So when we do business and the way that we treat one another and how we respond to each other, God is involved in that. And it said all the weights of the bags are his work. So everything that we do, every transaction, every deal that's made, we're dealing in God's business. And if you connect this back where it talks about the king transgressed not in judgment, this shows us the ultimate authority. So the king has the right and authority to set the weights and the balances. He has the right and authority to navigate it the way that he wants to. But in when he's doing that, he's dealing in God's business and all of this belongs to God. And the same thing go with us. The way we relate to each other and when we do business and how we handle ourselves and treat one another, we got the right to do it however we want to. But understand that we're dealing in God's business when we do this. Now, if somebody thinks of the other service, they ask this question, like talking about sacred and secular work. Like if I want to sell chickens, like how do I sell chickens to the glory of God? That ain't no Christian job. Yes, it is. 
Because when you're selling, anytime you're dealing with business, the main thing you're dealing with is with people. And God is involved in that. And here he's telling us this is God's work. Business exchange is God's work. In the way that you do it, you do it in a manner that can be pleasing to God or you do it in a manner that can bring the wrath of God because all the bags, all the weights of the bags are his work. Verse 12 said, It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness for the throne is established by righteousness. So kings should loathe wickedness because their throne is established, are held up, are made secure by righteousness. So kings should not be doing any wickedness because the only thing that maintains them in their position is righteousness. 13. Righteous lips are a delight of kings, and they love him that speak it right. So the people in authority delight in righteous lips. So the folks who say the right things are righteous in their speech when you're dealing with the king, say they love him that speak it righteousness. So kings love righteous lips. So when you're dealing and you're dealing with righteousness, the king love you. Especially if you got a righteous ruler. 14. The wrath of a king is as messengers of death, but a wise man will pacify it. This is ideal. So when a king is made angry, his wrath, it says, like messengers of death. So it's like death coming to visit you. But a wise man know how to pacify it. Like I said, for us, this is hard for us to comprehend, and we have to put it in context. The closest thing we have is boss government, because that's the closest kingship that we have. And so if you have the one in authority and you anger him, say that's like a messenger of death. It really was a messenger of death for them because the king had the power to take life and to excuse one to live. But what he's saying, a wise man in dealing with a king know how to pacify the anger of the king. You know how to deal with the wrath of those who are in authority. He can navigate their wrath and their anger in a manner that can bring peace to a situation. That's the wise. And so this is something where we need to come up with. Because some folks you have just just crazy bosses that are unstable and just don't know how to do nothing. Anybody, don't raise your hand out loud. But anybody got a boss that just don't know how to talk to people. They can just blow off the hand about the smallest little thing. They just don't know how to like, why he ain't, like, hold on, I'm grown too. <laughs> <laughs> you can ask me a question. Don't come with all that yelling. That's what you be saying on this side. <laughs> but a wise man know how to pacify that ain't. Know how to deal with them fussy folks, deal with them yelling folks, and can bring them back down to level. 15. In the light of the king's countenance is life, and his favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. So this is the idea that when the king looks at you and favor you, so if you're one of them wise people, you're one of them people with righteous lips, when the king on your side, he's saying it's like the cloud of the latter rain. The cloud of the latter rain is the rain that we get April, May, the one that allow your flowers to grow. Like, if you can be this wise person and know how to navigate and deal with this king, and their continence and their favor is upon you, like it's like the cloud of the latter rain. You got some leeway that other people don't have. And it's a pleasant thing when you see them coming. The person with authority had you have their favor. 16. Say, so how much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather than chosen silver? It's off repeated proverb. So wisdom, understanding should be desired over gold and silver. Verse 17. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil and he that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. 
So this is the highway now, the pathway. So the pattern of life of the upright that is to depart from evil. So leaving evil is walking on the highway of the upright. And God has established so that walking in righteousness is leaving evil. So the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. So as you leave evil, you're beginning to walk down the way of righteousness or the highway of the righteousness. You're going down the path of those who walk in righteousness. And if you maintain or if you preserve your way, you walking on this way, you preserve your soul. So you keep your soul on this highway of righteousness. I mean, you keep your way on the highway of righteousness. You're preserving your soul. Verse 18, pride go up before destruction. And a hardest spirit before it fall. This is a famous proverb. So before calamity comes, before somebody is cast down, before somebody is brought to shame, said pride is there. Pride go up before destruction and a haughty spirit before it fall. That's the same thing. An uplifted spirit, a prideful spirit comes before somebody is cast down. So if you want to see somebody who finna be revealed, who finna be made ashamed, see a prideful person. Pride always come before destruction. Pride comes before disgrace is what he's saying here. So if you want to be disgraced, if you want to be brought down, if you want to be embarrassed, be prideful. 19. Better is it to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. This is a deep one. It's another one of those money situations. So it's saying it's better to have a humble spirit with the lowly or, or the, the downcast in society. So if you like, you got a choice. You can be up with the high or you can be down with the low. He's saying it's better to be down with the low and have a humble spirit than to divide the spoil with the proud. That means you live with the proud and you share it in their revenues. So the proud folks, they, they, they're prospering, they're going forth and they're sharing their money with you. He's saying it better be down there with the folks who can't give you nothing than to be up there enjoying the goods with the proud. So to be connected with the proud is worse than to be have nothing with the humble. 20, he that handleth a matter wisely shall find good. And whoso trusted in the Lord, blessed is he. So if you handle the matter wisely, so it is the idea of when you're in a situation and you have a responsibility, whether it's a contentious situation, whether it's a business situation, whether somebody give you responsibility, say if you handle that situation wisely, you shall find good or you shall find flavor or benefit, beneficiary. Or something that is beneficial is what I'm trying to say. If you handle it wisely. So when somebody gives you responsibility, when somebody gives you a situation, when you have authority over something and you handle it in a wise manner, good favor comes to you as a result of that. So good is the, ben- is the result of you handling the matter wisely, of you navigating the situation in a wise manner. And if you trust in the Lord, you are blessed. And it's this idea of extending this situation. So handling the matter wisely is connected with you trusting in the Lord and you're handling other situations. So if you handle it in a situation that shows your trust or your devotion to God, you are the truly blessed one. So if you can deal in no matter the situation and do it in a manner that's trustworthy or that's a reliance on God, you're the blessed person. 21. The wise in heart shall be called prudent and the sweetness of the lips Increase it learning. That's crazy. The wise in heart shall be called prudent. So the people who are wise, the people who know how to navigate life in their heart, that's their disposition. They they, they understand life in a manner that, that can guide you. So those are the ones that are called prudent. And 
sweetness of the lips increase at learning. So this wise person who has a wise heart, they're called prudent. And the sweetness are the pleasantness of their lips. So their speech and the pleasant things that they have to say have the ability to expand learning. So a wise person, you refer to them as prudent, and they have the ability to increase your learning. You increase your ability to, to absorb information and your ability to understand. That's what the pleasantness of a wise can do. And this is one for us to take in for ourselves and one for us to think about, can, should we be that person? That wise in heart that the people look at as prudent and the one that increases learning that the people, their ability to comprehend and understand the situation is made greater because they have conversation with you. I, I get it now. Why? Because I was talking to Justin. He just made it make sense. 22. Understanding is a wellspring of life unto him that hath it. But the instruction of fools is folly. So the person that has understanding, that means they comprehend life and see it rightly. That is a wellspring of life to them. So you have the ability to, to, to increase life inside of your wellspring, something that overflows with life just by your understanding. So as we increase in understanding, we increase our life. But the instructions of fools. So when we listen to fools, when we allow fools to guide us, that's madness or that's folly, that's silliness. That's something that just don't make no sense. So we can increase understanding and increase life or we can listen to fools and increase foolishness. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and added learning to his lips. So that person with a wise heart is basically saying that the wise man never stops learning. So the heart of the wise teaches his mouth. And it's the idea of the wisdom being something that instructs you in the way that you talk, in the way that you relate to people. So the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and instructs it. So you can teach and you can instruct your mouth in the way of wisdom. And it says, and, and added learning to his lips. So there's a sense of a continuous learning, a continual increase that happens in the heart of the wise. But here he applies it to the way that we use our speech. So you being a person of understanding can direct the way that you talk. So the way that you talk and relate it to people pre-Christ should not be the same as it is now. And there should be a level of where your skill with your lips should increase as you grow older and as you increase in understanding. As you become more wise, you should be able to speak and navigate situations with such a precision because the wisdom of your heart can instruct your mouth. There's not a wise man that does not have control over this. And there's not a wise person that does not have to know, not know how to use the mouth in a manner that allows him to navigate and allows him to create peace and allows him to maintain his reputation as the wise. Y'all understanding what I'm saying? So there's an increase in the lips. So if you're a person that used to fly off at the mouth, the older you get and as you grow in wisdom, that should decrease. If you're a person that just didn't have any filter, that didn't know how to say something or correct a person without just being rude and abrupt and just tearing people down, as you increase in understanding, you should be able to train yourself how to do that. If you're a person that just yells and every time anything slightly frustrates you, and you just flew and let it go, as you increase, you should be able to teach your mouth how to express grief, how to express hardship without just tearing everybody up around you. How to deal with a situation without having to accuse everybody. Like every time something go wrong, Buke, you did it. It's your fault. Why you did that? Like, hold on, man. <laughs> the thing just tore up. 
<laughs> said, pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and health to the bone. Now, that's a deep one. Just put that in your pocket. Just think about that. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and health to the bone. So pleasant words, good words, pleasurable words, they're like a honeycomb. Sweet to the soul and health to the bones. You know, I like the analogy he used here of honey. It's something that is very sweet, but it has healthy properties to it. And that's what he's saying. That pleasant words, when you use the right words, the good words, they have the ability to be something that people enjoy. They like to hear. But it's also something that is beneficial to them. It ain't just piling on. It ain't just flattery. something that makes people feel good. But it's also something that can help them or benefit them. That's what he means by sweet to the soul and health to the bones. So there's an idea where it does both. So we shouldn't be the people that just make people feel good. It's just telling the things that they enjoy hearing. But ain't no life change. Ain't nothing benefiting. Ain't nothing that can help them that comes from it. And we also shouldn't be the people that just tell them everything they need to hear but also destroying them on the other side. Pleasant words are wise words as we grow in understanding. We should be able to do both. Say it in a manner to where it's something that they don't just straight up say destroy the person. Well, they ain't just build it. Like I said, some folk, they, they, they get jaw off there. I mean, people don't like me because I speak the truth. No, they don't like you because you mean. <laughs> and there's a difference. Now, there will be people who don't like the truth no matter how you give it to them. But don't let you be the reason why they don't like it. Yeah, y'all understand what I'm saying? And that's the idea he got here. Well, it's pleasant. It's good words. But it's also something beneficial. We ain't just flattering people. And we ain't just, just throwing and just beating them down with it. It's, it's the combination. It's, and it's the blend. And it is something that we get as we grow in wisdom. 25. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. This is one we're going to hear this one over and over again. So when man look out, his pattern of life, he's seen that he's going down the right way. But the end of that road is death. 26. He that laboreth, laboreth for himself, for his mouth craveth it of him. Now this is a, a, a funny one. He that laboreth, laboreth for himself, for his mouth craveth it of him. Now this one, that he there is the soul. So the soul, the desire of the laborer, labor for himself. So when you work, the idea is that, that there's a craving inside of you that propels you to work. Because your mouth urges it or craves it of you. So it's a picture of basically, a, a, Paul says it in the negative. He that don't work, don't eat. And it's the idea of you being in a position where you need, that's the thing that propels you into your labor. So the person that labor labors up himself. So it's the desire inside of you that pushes you, that propels you, because you got to eat. And it's something, like I said, entrepreneurs understand this better than us regular clock in folks. Because if I miss a day of work, I got like a thousand some hours of sick days. <laughs> I got like over a thousand hours of sick day. I can get sick for a long time. And the state of Alabama still got to give me my check.
But the folks who work for themselves, if they get sick, they ain't, you don't eat. <laughs> and, and that's what he's getting. The, the soul of the man that labor, labor for himself. So there's something inside of you that propels you toward your labor. And this is something that we need to put in our children. Now, I said, I talking to a young man at work. Like, man, every time I go to McDonald's, I spend 15, 20 dollars. Like, man, you spend 15, 20 dollars every time you go to McDonald's? Yeah, man, I go by there every day. Like, boy, when you get old, you're going to be broke. Like, man, I don't think none of it. So, you don't think none of it because it ain't your money. And so, you got a young guy, 18, 19, 20 years old, and still have no concept of money. So, in a couple of years, this guy going to be somebody's daddy. Like I said, he's 18. And ain't got no concept of if I spend $20 every time I go to McDonald's and I go at least every once a week, I mean once a day, sometimes twice a day, this ain't good. He don't got no concept of it. And that's because nothing he has, he has to work for. When he get hungry, his mama got a stockpile of stuff in the refrigerator that he could just go to. When them fifteen twenty dollars a day run out, he got a mama. He can just say, "Hey, mom, I'm hungry," and she put money back in his pocket. So there's no propelling for him. Ask him to do something, man. Don't do that. Like, what? You don't sweep? <laughs> nah, man. Don't do that type of work. What type of work you do, man? Man, I really don't do nothing because there's no need for him to work. <laughs> But we're raising some generation of people like this who don't connect hunger with work. Who don't connect need with labor. Those are two different things. Work is what you got to do. <laughs> hunger is what you have to satisfy. Needs is what you have to provide. The two don't go together. And so we have to connect these in the minds of our children. That needs equal work. If you need something, that means you need a job. I'm saying, start telling them early. Buke soon as you get them. And the minute he can say, juice, yeah, boy, you need a job. (laughs) He said, juice is seafood. I already left you talking about. (laughs) Many hey, dad, you gonna buy me? I'll buy you a job. <laughs> and just get it in their mind. Want equals work. And that's what he's getting here with. Want, desire, craving, that's what causes you to work. Verse 27. An ungodly man diggeth up evil, and in his lips there is a burning fire. Now this is a deep one. An ungodly man, what do you mean by digging up evil? He he always picking. He's plotting, he's stirring up evil. So he's on a journey just to pull up evil, badness, maliciousness. That's all he's on the, on the look for. And it says in his tongue, uh, there's a fire. His tongue, his lips is a, as a burning fire that basically his, his mouth has the ability to consume. So there's a man who hurts with his tongue and all his activity is, is just pulling up calamity. And there's a, a level of ungodliness there. 28, a froward man soweth strife and a whisperer separated chief friends. Or a froward man, that's a perverted man. He sows strife. So this is a guy who go out and he just stir up stuff. 
You know, like I said, we all have met somebody like that. that anytime they're around, they got to stir up something. It just can never be all peace. Like, they're always stirring up something. And it says a whisperer. That whisperer it sounds just like what it says. Somebody who go from person to person telling stuff. We would say uh, a gossiper is what the word that we use. The whisperer, they separated chief friends. And it's the person who pounced from person to person, telling all everybody little business, everybody little secrets. Like that person has the ability to separate the closest of friends. The people who are top dogs, if they allow a whisperer to get in the midst of their business, if they dealing with this, this ungodly man that's so at strife, he has the ability to separate. So the idea is, is stay away from them type people. 29, a violent man enticeth his neighbor and leadeth him into a way that is not good. So this, the violent man here can be an oppressive man, one who longs to take advantage of another. So he enticeth his neighbor. So the violent man draws his neighbor out and said, leadeth him in a way that is not good. And this is the idea, we see this for us with people who are always trying to get over on you. And like I said, it, it ain't that bad in our community in the sense of we don't see it on the grand scale that's people like white collar criminals. That's that's more of a picture of what he's talking here. Uh, or your people who who do your bon- Ponzi schemes and all those different type of things. Who their whole mode is to take advantage of you and to draw you out. So this verse it should be the, the the epitome of American greed type folks. They they take advantage of you and the idea is to draw you out, to pull you in, and to lead you into a way that is not good for you. Now we got that on our scale too. But that's what I think about here. The oppressor, the one who take advantage of. And it's a mode of people pulling you into a lifestyle for their advantage, but for your harm. It's, it's the old man that, that macking down on the little girl. I'm saying the 30, 35-year-old on, on the college campus pulling them 20, 22-year-old. He enticed them and pull them in a way that ain't good. The one that, that, that opened up all these young people, that, that giving the young boy his first pack, just introducing them to the street life and drawing them in. It's a manner that's not good. 30. He that shutteth, he shutteth his eyes to devise forward things, moving his lips, he bringeth evil to pass. It's the idea still of that violent man. So it's the idea of a person who don't want to see the calamity that he brings down. So he shut it out, his eyes to devise forward things. So he closed himself off to all other things and come up with wicked schemes, perverted schemes. So he closes himself off, moving his lips, he bringeth evil to pass. So he closed everything off and he coming up with evil schemes and he uses his mouth to pull people, to entice people, to bring hurt, to bring calamity. It is just a, a shyster joke who can draw you out, who can entice you. With his words and his whole mind, he ain't seeing nothing else but the, the evil that he's plotting up in his mind. And that's what he got going on. And this is the person that you got leading you or guiding you, enticing you. Stay away from those type of people who ain't straight up, who ain't upright in their speech. Verse 31 said, the hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. So the hoary head is a gray head, gray haired person. So if you got a head full of gray. He's saying that's a crown of glory to you. So y'all stop dying that stuff. <laughs> saying a hoary head, that's, that's what he's talking about. White-haredness, gray-haredness is a crown of glory. It's something that's 
beautifies you and honors you if it's found in the way of righteousness. So if you can be old and righteous, that's a grand thing. That's a crown of glory to you. So let your grace show. We got it reversed. Young girls buying gray wigs, old folks dying there, blacking it out. (laughs) 32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. That's a deep one. So the person that does not get angry quick says they're better than the mighty man or the strong man. So he's saying it's better to be slow to get angry than to be strong. So if you can control your anger, a patient person is better than a strong person or a powerful person. And it says, he that ruleth his spirit, so the person that has self-control, if you can control your spirit, it's better than the one that can take a city. So if you take the greatest warrior you know that can conquer a whole city, if you have self-control, you're greater than him. But just think about it. We got a biblical example of this. One of the most strong men we know Who? Samson. Who destroyed him? A little bit of woman. The man who snatched city gates off a wall. The man who beat what? What the 40 soldiers with the jawbone of a donkey. Got destroyed by a woman. Because he couldn't control himself. So he had great strength, he had great power, but he didn't have any self-control. Samson. Yeah. Yep, he destroyed the lion with his bare hand. <laughs> That's the same one. But Delilah destroyed him. Couldn't control himself. That's what he's saying. The one that has self-control is greater than the person that can overtake a city. The one that gets slow to anger, a patient person, is greater than the strongest man there is. That's one for you to reflect on. Don't be angry. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Now, this is a strange one for us, too. That the lot is cast into the lap. That the lot, as far as we can understand, is close to like dice. And what they found digging up, what they thought to be like dice, it's like these little black and white little dice. All they is black on one side, white on the other side. And it's something that they use to settle disputes. And what he's saying is the casting of the lot into the lap is into the lap. So you cast it in your own lap. But the whole disposing thereof or the way that it falls out, God has control over it. Now, that's a deep one for us to reflect on. That seems like to be chance and it's random. But in the mind of the writer of the proverb, God has the ability to control the lot. And if we read some biblical stories, they don't seem to make sense unless we have this understanding. Like, how did the sailors know that Jonah was the one that was causing the storm? They cast lots. And the lots told them Jonah was the one. Like, hold up, that don't make sense. So y'all just shaking the eight ball. <laughs> That's the equivalent of it in our time. Like, God, who is the one called, is this man the one causing the storm? No. Is this man the one causing the storm? And it go all around until we get to Jonah. And it's yes. <laughs> and that's the idea that he's in here with. It's 
The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. And it seemed to be a bit crazy in our eyes. Like when dudes on the court talking about the ball don't lie. <laughs> huh? Is it promoting the casting of lot? It seems to be. We're gonna, it gonna, we're gonna talk about it because it's gonna come back up again in a slightly different light. Cause it seems to be though. Right? God controls the lot. That ain't that kind of lot. The lots that they were casting was to make decisions. <laughs> Not to win money. <laughs> so it's, who should be the leader? Is it Aaron? No. Is it, that's the type of lot cast they was doing. The same thing they did with Aiken. When Joshua wanted to know who the one that stole the stuff that caused them to lose in AI. Same type of thing they did. Is it in this tribe? Yes. Tribes come family by family. Is it in this family? All the way down till you get to Aiken family. Then is it this one? Yes. All the way down till they got it all the way down to Aiken. Like, whoa, like, we don't do no stuff like that. But it do seem to be promoting the casting of Lot. Huh? Is that coming from God? In a manner, yes. Well, we're going to talk about it. Because it's going to come back up. We're going to run to this one we're going to have to wrestle with. And this is one of the ideas of the difference between modern and ancient culture. Because for us, this seemed weird. But when the apostles wanted to know who they wanted to pick, to, <laughs> to it was no thought. It's like it wasn't even a thing. They didn't say, let us pray to the Holy Spirit. To them, it's just like they was praying to the Holy Spirit. But that's what, like I said, we get into that. This, this is what we put in now because we're going to run across it quite often. And what is the Bible stance on casting lots? Chapter 17, verse 1. said, better is a dry morsel in quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. Now, that's another deep one. Tell you to eat better. And then he add to it, a dry morsel. So a morsel itself is a piece. Mostly talking about a piece of bread. And he's saying better is a dry piece of bread. So you get a cracker, a piece of a cracker. And you got quietness in your house. It's better than a house full of sacrifices. And what he mean by a house full of sacrifices is meat. Because a lot of times when you took the sacrifices, the leftover meat you took home and you cooked it and you had a barbecue. What's cooking on the grill? So he's saying it's better to have a piece of a cracker in a peaceful house than a whole deep freezer full of meat with strife in the house. That's, that's deep one now. <laughs> Said pale old cooking. <laughs> so what, what, what type of spices they putting on that? <laughs> Girl, you can put all you want to. You put the right spices on. <laughs> okay, I'm crazy you. <laughs> that one you got to wrestle with, Butte. Meet the crazy one that can cook. <laughs> You're a nice, peaceful, humble lady. They're going to do you good. But can't boil an egg. <laughs> He's saying you better get that quiet than deal with that strife. <laughs> and Solomon would know he had a thousand of them to choose from. 
<laughs> a wise servant shall have rule over a son that called his shame and shall have part of the inheritance among the brethren. That's a deep one. So, a wise servant. So, this is the idea of you living in a house and you got servants. A servant that live wisely will elevate to the point where he have authority over the son of the house if that son is a fool. So, a wise servant shall have rule over a son that called the same and shall have part over the inheritance among the brethren. So, this shows you the ability of wisdom to elevate over foolishness. So when you're in a place where you have somebody foolish in a position and you consistently demonstrate wisdom that eventually the wise, the wise overrules the fool just because if somebody dealing with some sense, they're they going to want the person who they can trust. Like I said, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We talked about family. family. Sometimes baby bro end up being big baby bro because mama just give everything to them because the older one a lot of times end up being a fool. Verse 3, the finding pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tried the hearts. So if you want to test gold, we say we got a finding pot for that. I mean, a finding pot for silver. You want to test gold, we got a furnace for that. If you want to test hearts, the Lord is for that. So just like the finding pot and the furnace, try gold and silver. God tests your heart. So it's coming back again to the Lord, Yahweh himself, dealing with our hearts. Said a wicked doer give it heed to false lips, and a liar give it ear to nod it to a naughty tongue. So wicked people, liars, they listen to false lips and naughty tongues. So the, those who are not right in their intentions listen to those who are not right in their speaking. Whoso mocketh the poor reproaches his maker, and he that is glad at calamities shall not be unpunished. This is a, a heavy one now. So if you mock the poor, if you speak against the poor, if you put down the poor in your speech, say you're going against your maker, you're reproaching your maker, you're showing disdain towards your maker, you're fighting against your maker. And if you're glad at calamities, if you rejoice when people fall on hard times, you shall not be unpunished. So if you see somebody coming on a hard time and you quote unquote, they got their comeuppance, like if you rejoice in that, that you won't be unpunished. So there's punishment for you if you rejoice in the destruction of others. So if you see people and you if you throw a parade when when um OJ went to jail. Alright, nah, you don't rejoice in that. Or if somebody do you wrong, then wrong happened to them. Like you don't be happy, you don't celebrate that. As I say, if you celebrate that calamity, you won't be unpunished. That's go ahead. Uh-huh. Yes. Mm-hmm. But you said it correctly, but the satisfaction should go towards who? It should be a thankfulness to God for him doing what he said he was going to do, other than a rejoicing over the person for going through what they went through. And it's a fine line there. Like I said, the book of Revelations is all about praise. It's the one of the most worship-filled books on in, in the Bible. But there's a whole bunch of judgment and calamity going on. But all the worship is God. You're faithful. You're just. You reign. All of these things. You're worthy. All judgment and honor belongs to you. So there's, there's a sense of humility in that. And it should be that when we see the come up and come upon us, those who do us wrong or those who get what they deserve. It should be, aha, you got what you deserve. Look at you. Now you lost all your stuff. Stole all them people money. Now they taking your stuff. 
It shouldn't be that. It should be an acknowledgement of God you're in control and you execute justice in your own way. Huh? It basically, that's it. But it's not a, a sense of you getting delight. I get happy. So if somebody stole my stuff, then I find out they stuff got stole. Then be like, okay, <laughs> see those down to get. I took your stuff too. I told you about all that still. <laughs> no, it, it ain't that. <laughs> That's what it's getting towards. Like you see the Bernie Madoffs and all those people. When we see them with their head down going to jail, it shouldn't be a celebration. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we all are to some degree. <laughs> that where the 999 I come from. <laughs> Verse 6, children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. So the crown of old men, so the things that, that, that beautifies or that brings honor to old men, goes all the way down to them having grandchildren. So your children, your offspring, your inheritance is a crown to you. And it said the children of the glory of children, something that brings honor to children, are their fathers. And it shows us the, the, the cyclical relationship of family inheritance. There's a sense in where we take honor and that we get pride and things come to us from our children. But there's also a sense in where we reflect upon our children. And that what they are impacts us and what we are impact them. And there's this mutual crowning that goes on. So when you got great parents that, that has a level of honor, there's a level of honor that comes to the children just because of who you are. And when you have a heritage, a lineage, there's something that comes to you by seeing the expanse of your family and the growth and the continuation of your name. So there's a mutual thing that, 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 that's connected in family inheritance. And y'all understand that. Said a gift. Oh, seven. Excellent speech becoming not a fool, much less do lying li lips a prince. So that excellent or noble speech, great speech is not good for a fool or it's not fitting for a fool. So to have great speech, and to be foolish, don't go hand in hand. You don't need to separate. You don't need to have them two together. And it said, much less do lying lips, or to an even lesser degree. Lying lips is not fitting for a prince. So for a ruler to be a liar, that doesn't go hand in hand. Just like for a foolish man to have great speech. So if you're an authority and you're a liar, that don't, that's not a good look. Those things don't go hand in hand. And if you're a fool and you know how to speak great, like, that's not a good deal. That don't go hand in hand. That's how you get Hitler's. <laughs> it just, it's a bad thing. Verse 8. A gift is as a precious stone in the eyes of him that hath it. Whithersoever it turneth, it prospereth. Now, this is one. We, we talk about this gift again. Anybody remember what a gift is? Y'all don't remember? A gift. Say, a gift is as a precious stone in the eye of him that hath it. Whithersoever it turneth, it shall prosper. What's that gift? The, no, gift is not wisdom. Uh-uh. A gift is a bribe. A bribe. Yeah, that's the gift. Yeah, I'm going to keep saying that. You got to remember, it. it's going to come in very key, very shortly. So a gift and this is one that you have to think about. This does not seem spiritual at all. Say gift 
is as a precious stone in the eye of him that have it. So a gift is a precious thing to the one that got it. It's like, it's like a, a, a great jewel in the one that has it. And it says, whatsoever it turneth, it prospers. So wherever he uses it and utilizes it, there's a prosper to it. So it shows you the idea of a person that has the ability to buy favor and to win people over with money. So he has the ability to use the gift, to use his money in a wise manner. So a gift is as a precious stone in the eyes of him that has it. And whithersoever it turneth, it's prosperous. So in his eyes, no matter where he put this thing, it's going to do what he wanted to do. Go ahead. Nope, it's a bribe. A material gift. This is his perception. That whatever he turneth it, wherever he go with it, is going to prosper. Because it says, in his eyes, is as a precious stone. So this is the gift. This is what he's talking about. A bribe. So a gift is a bribe. You've been able to pull out a couple hundred dollars. I'm saying Justin, he big time like that. Pull out a couple hundred dollars. Hey, man, I want the table by the back. <laughs> I ain't no winning no restaurant. You got to get a table. <laughs> That's a gift. You can manipulate the man. Like, yes, yes, sir, Mr. Hampton. <laughs> but that's what he's talking about. And we keep going over that. Say, he that a gift is a bride. Remember that. We're going to come to a famous church verse that's going to mess your head up. He that covereth the transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matter separated very friends. So if somebody done wrong, say the person that covered it, the person that's willing to take the loss, they're trying to, to find love. Uh, they're trying to bring love to a situation. So it's the idea of you putting yourself in a position where you're willing to take the loss, where you're willing to absorb the hurt just for the reconciliation of the situation. Like the person that's like that, they seeking love. They're trying to reconcile. They're trying to bring harmony. But there's a other person that repeated the matter. That go around telling everybody. That go around bringing stuff back up. Like I said, we all, most of y'all have been in a situation where you forgave somebody or something. And the minute they accuse you of something, now what about that time you? <laughs> you pull it all the way back up. It was seven years ago. And you were crying when you forgave him because you really meant it. And the minute they ask you, well, I'll see you. I ain't, see, you ain't saying that one. <laughs> I'm saying, uh, per, person that repeated the matter, they separated cheap friends. So if you taking the flaws and faults of another and spreading it all the way around, you bringing separation. But if you're willing to take the hurt, if you're willing to take the loss and absorb it, you're trying to reconcile. That's a hard one. <laughs> so you take the loss too much. <laughs> a reproof enter it more we're going to talk about how to take the loss a little bit later too a reproof enter it more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool that's a deep but the idea if you can rebuke a wise man one time you can tell him what he did wrong and show him his faults and that have more impact than you beating a fool a hundred times that big time <laughs> So you can beat the fool a hundred times, but the wise one you can just tell them one time and it has the same impact. 
That's that, that deep. <laughs> and actually it says enter more. So the rebuke got more impact than a thousand, a hundred stripes in a fool. An evil man seeketh only rebellion. Therefore, a cruel messenger shall be sent against him. So this idea of an evil man, a, a, a heart of obstinate man, one who goes against. Say so he only wants rebellion. The only thing he going on is to be contrary to. It's like that type of person, an evil or a cruel messenger shall be sent against him. So since he only want to rebel, he only going against the grain, a cruel or, or a malicious messenger is going to be sent against him. It's the idea of retribution. So what you give out, that's what's going to be given to you. So if you only want to go against, it's ideal. Okay, we're going to go against you. So the, a person who only wants rebellion, a cruel, a, a hurtful messenger, going to be sent against him. Verse 12 is a deep one to, to, to think about when you talk about friendships. So let a bear robbed of her whips meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. So a bear robbed of her whips is a bear that somebody stole her cubs. So a bear that's on the search for her cubs, he said, better to run into that bear than it is to run into a fool. <laughs> that's what he's saying. He said, let the bear robbed of her whelps meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. So if you got to pick one one you want to run into, if you walk in the streets, said, rather you run into an angry bear than a foolish man. What Proverbs is saying, the angry bear is better than the foolish man. That's a deep one. <laughs> that one you just let, let it sit there for a minute. Huh? The fool is the one who does not hear correction. The one, all of the thoughts of his heart are madness and silliness all the time. He does not take life serious. He cannot be corrected. Yeah. And that's one you, <laughs> and that's one you have to sit, but just think about it for a minute. If you let it sit all the way, the bear, if you meet a bear, an angry bear, they're ready to kill somebody because she lost her cubs. The worst that can happen to you is she can knock your skull off and send you into eternity. If you partner with a fool and get impacted by his foolishness, the worst that can happen to you is you become a fool like him and you can lose your soul. Because the foolish man is obstinate against God. And if you are impacted by the fool, if you become a companion of the fool, you can become like the fool. So that's why he's saying, if you get going to turn a corner and run into somebody, he said, turn a corner and run into a bear. <laughs> They're ready to kill somebody because somebody stole her cubs, then turn a corner and run into a fool. That's deep. That one, like I said, you put it in your pocket, let it sit there. <laughs> Verse 13, whoso rewarded evil for good, evil shall not depart from his house. That's a deep one. So if somebody do you good and you mistreat them, the mistreatment won't depart from your house. So if you reward evil for good, evil shall not depart from your house. That, that, that's dangerous. The beginning of strife is as when one let it out water. Therefore, leave off contention 
before it be meddled it with. So it's the idea. So the beginning of strife. And when strife starts up, it says it's like turning on a faucet. Or like opening up a well. It's like it, it, it begins to gush out once you open it up. So that's how strife starts. It's something that can just take off real fast. It's like, therefore, you leave off contention. Don't mess with contention before it get meddled with. Before it get all mixed up and it get to going, you leave it alone. Strife, anger, argumentation. Well, we can't get along and we just mad at each other. Like the beginning of that, when we, when it starts, when we, we just going at one another. So that's like the opening of a faucet or letting out water, something that gushes forth. Like, so before it get all mixed up and things get to going, leave off contention. So it's the idea when you see that's where it's going and you don't have the words or you don't have the wisdom to bring it down, he said, leave it alone. Unless you just ready to fight. Verse 15, he that justified the wicked and he that condemned the just, even they both are an abomination to the Lord. That's a deep one. He that, if you justify the wicked, that means if you call the wicked righteous and you condemn the just, if you pour condemnation upon the righteous, so both of those are an abomination to the Lord. So if you're going around calling wicked people righteous and you got this standard that allows the wicked to be righteous, and if you're going out and calling righteous people wicked, that both of them, no matter which category you fall into, God hates them both. And that's a deep one to, to, to think about. And that's why you need to be careful who you listen to. Because there's certain theology in our day and times that allows wicked men to be righteous. And we convince wicked people that they are righteous. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Man, and left his wife, ain't talked to his children in no matter how many years and doing all that like, well, you're righteous now. He believed. No, he ain't. That's a dangerous spot. Don't be that person. That's why I don't try to convince nobody that they say. I will help you to get some conviction in your heart, but I ain't going to give it to you. Even with my own children. I'm not going to tell you, yes, you are a Christian. No, you're not. Until God tells you you are, you're not. <laughs> because I don't want to get you to a place where you confident or you contending something. That's not right. And the only thing you got to go back on is, well, I, my mama and I grew up and if that's all you got, you ain't got nothing. You let God deal with it in your heart. And that's part of the way I navigate with mine. Ain't that one I'm saved until God tell them they say. When God tell them, then you are. And when you can come to me and fuss back at me and when I'm telling you you ain't and you got the confidence to tell me, yes, I am because it's us. All right, now you are. But it's not my job to convince people. I can convince you and I hope the Holy Spirit does his job to bear witness with you. But let us not be in one of them folks. We don't justify the wicked and we don't condemn the just. 16. Where there is a price, wherefore is there a price in the hand of a fool to get wisdom, seeing he hath no heart to it? It's the idea of you see a, a fool or the wicked trying to get wisdom and the price is he got money for it so he's trying to pay for something that he really don't want like why is there a price in the hand of a fool to get wisdom so why is a fool trying to buy and trying to seek out trying to get educated and brought up for this wisdom when he has no heart for it and there's nothing in him that wants it for real like why has he got it when his heart won't allow him to receive it 
And it's something that we see. Like I said, you got foolish folks who bounce from conference to conference, who, who buy CDs and tapes and DVDs and do all that stuff, try to learn a little something about the Lord, but they ain't got no heart for him for real. Like, why is there a price in their hand when you ain't got no heart for it? Why are you pursuing this when, when your heart is obstinate towards it? When you got the basic things that you do know and understand about God, you ain't done them yet, but you're trying to go deep. I'm saying you're trying, you're going to the next level and elevation and all this. Man, you ain't did the the, the first thing yet. (laughs) Like, you ain't got no heart for this. How do you know? Because God told you one command that you fuss about and you explain away. I'm saying God don't mean, I'm saying you need to understand that back in the Bible day. God don't need to understand now that we're saying we mean the thing different. You ain't followed that one. God been told you. You been understood. that You ain't supposed to be having sex. You know that one. That ain't deep. You don't need no preacher to explain it to you. You read it and you understood. You ain't obeyed that, but you still want to go to church. I'm saying you still want to give forth in. You still want to be in the prayer line. You know, because you, you ain't got no heart for that, cuz. Like, you ain't trying to get this for real. I don't know what you're doing, but seeking wisdom ain't it. <laughs> That's what Solomon is saying. Hey, what, what, what you doing, bro? A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now, that's deep right there. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So if you got a real friend, he always going to show love for you. Now, what do you mean? At all times, or in all times, or in all seasons. No matter what's going on, a friend always have love. A real one. A true friend always got love for you, no matter what you're going through. And he said, a brother is born for adversity. Now, most people thinking this means that a brother is born to, to get on your nerves. That's not what he's talking about. <laughs> That's what everybody always thinks. He's talking about in times of adversity, that's what a brother is there for. A brother is born for adversity. He's there. He comes to you for those hard times. When the big boy hits you with a rock and knock and chip your teeth, a brother is there for that time. <laughs> No matter how y'all relationship going on, he gonna say, hey man, who, who, who did? <laughs> That's what he's talking about. So you got a friend and you got a brother born for adversity, always loving you. And it shows you the comfort of real relationship is what he's talking to here. A man void of understanding striketh hands and become a surety in the presence of his friend. So a person who don't know no better, they strike hands, they make an agreement. And become sure to co-sign or obligate themselves in the presence of a friend. So the person who put themselves under debt obligation in the presence of a friend who make that commitment. Say they don't got to understand. Verse 19. He that loveth transgression, that loveth strife, and he that exalted his gate seeketh destruction. So we got three categories of people here. Put them all together. So the one that loves transgression. That's sinning. That's the breaking of the law. The one that loves strife. That's fighting. Stirring stuff up. And the one that exalted his gate. The one that puts himself up over people. His gate's talking about his lot or his position in life. So the one that puts himself up to look down over others. And the one that loves transgression. And the one that loves strife. That love to fight. That love to stir stuff up. So all of them together. Only thing they're seeking is destruction. Or calamity. Or hard times. Or hard judgment. To come against them. So if you lift yourself up over people, you put your position in life above others. If you always, if you love rebellion, love sin, if you love making, just fighting, just stirring stuff up, 
So all you want is destruction. That's what you're pursuing in life. Verse 20. He that hath a froward heart findeth no good. And he that hath a perverse tongue falleth into mischief. So the one that got a froward or perverse heart said they don't find any good. And you've got a perverse tongue, you fall into mischief. So your tongue can lead you down the wrong way. Perversion in heart, perversion in tongue can lead you into bad situations. 21. He that begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow. And the father of a fool hath no joy. Now that's a hard one now. So the one that brings forth the fool, you doeth it to your own hurt, or your own sorrow, to pain and of yourself. And if you're the father of a fool, there's no joy. That's just put that one in your pocket now. That, that's depressing. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dried the bones. So it's the idea of merry, a merriness, a joy, laughter. Say so it does good like medicine. So laughter has the ability to do good to you, to benefit you, just like you taking medicine. It, it has a beneficial or medicinal impact on you. Laughter does. Said, but a broken spirit, on the contrast, when the spirit is down, when it's been crushed, when it's been made bad, it has the ability to dry the bones. It can impact your body negatively. So one can bring you up, it has a, a medicinal impact on you, and the other one can bring you down and have an ill-affected impact on you. Merriness and brokenness. And it's one of the ones we need to keep in context with our family. We need to cultivate as much joy in our homes as we can. A wicked man taketh the gift out of the bosom to pervert the ways of judgment. Now, what's a gift again? A bribe. So a wicked man taketh the gift out of the bosom to pervert the ways of judgment. So a wicked man get his money out. And he does it to pervert the ways of judgment. Here's his judgment is a sound decision. We put it in a legal context. So he buy his way out of trouble. So that's what a wicked man does. Or he buy the scales in his favor. So a wicked man, anybody that uses money to manipulate justice or judgment, he's saying that's a, that's a wicked man. So a wicked man take a gift out of his bosom to manipulate the situation. He buy the judgment. He buy justice into his favor. 24, wisdom is before him that hath understanding, but the eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. So wisdom is right there in front of the person of understanding. So wisdom is right before your eyes. It's right in front of your face. It's like, but the eyes of the fool can't see wisdom. They all the way at the end of the earth. So wisdom is right here. It's open and it's plain. The one who has understanding is right in front of your face. But the fool, they looking all at the ends of the earth. They don't see it. They searching to the uttermost depths. While wisdom is right there in front of them. Verse 25 says, A foolish son is a grief. To his father. And bitterness to her that bear him. This is deep. That is. So the son. That is a fool. Is grief. Is hardship. Is sorrow to the heart of his father. So a father is made sorrowful. By a foolish child. And saying bitterness to her that bear him. It's like soreness. It's a stinginess. To the mother. That's a foolish child. It hurts. It brings sorrow. It produces when you have a foolish child. Also, to punish the just is not good, nor to strike princes for equity. So if you got a righteous man and you're punishing him, that's not a good thing. So you don't punish the righteous. And to strike princes for equity, basically those who are in authority, when you beat them just to make things look right. 
So when I hurt the person that has some authority, has some ruler, just to make it look good, just as I'm saying, just to balance the scales, like that ain't good. So we don't punish the, the just and we don't just knock down people in authority, just so I'm saying, we want to balance the scales. That ain't what we doing. He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Back to the words again. The person with knowledge, he hold back his words. His words are few. And a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. So there's a supremacy, there's, there's, a, there's a radiance that flows from the spirit of a man of understanding. And it's connected with his ability to refrain his tongue. There's a peace and there's a mildness about this man. There's a radiance for him because he know how to spare his words. He know how to use his words when necessary. In verse 28, say, even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. So a fool, when he shut up, people think he wise. And he shutteth his lips. They exalt him as if he is a man of understanding. So if you want people to thank you deep, shut up. Just hold your, just hold your peace. Just look. Just weigh it all in. <laughs> just take it in. It's like, the person who hold, it, hold back, don't say much. Like people esteem him as a man of understanding. Like I said, like my old co-workers say, they wouldn't have never known. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody got in the question. 